With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded
Okay? This is when you get up and march around the room. March around your mommy. March around him. March around the couch. Judas Maccabees, 
and Hanukkah and the victory against the Assyrian king. Okay, now we uh, let's go in prayer. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank Thee on this wonderful day of rest and worship. We thank You, Father, for this eighth day of the fiesta of dedication that is called Hanukkah. We thank You, Lord, for a day that represents victory and represents our ultimate victory. 
that regardless of all the battles that will rage in our lives and the battles of World War III and all the battles that are to come, spiritual, mental, emotionally, and physically, that we're going to have the ultimate victory on the last day of battle. We thank you, Lord, for the symbolism and spiritual meaning of this very extremely important day. We ask you, Lord, to help us to understand better today than what we did yesterday. Help us to understand more next year than what we did last year. Help us to be more obedient, more faithful, and more trusting. Help us, Lord, to not be hypocrites, but to be loyal and true, through and through, unto you, Father Almighty, in Jesus' holy name. We ask for cleansing of our hearts and cleansing of our minds, purification of our souls, that we may stand with you as your bride without spot, without wrinkle, and without blemish, and without sin. A bride prepared for you. We ask, Lord, that you be glorified in this service today, and that there be no hindrances to it. In Jesus' holy name. We pray for your will to be prevailed in us this day and forevermore without end. For your spirit, your word, your presence, and your will prevail in this service and in our lives forevermore without end. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Praise God. You may be seated. And I encourage you to open your Bible to Daniel chapter 7, Daniel 7. And I encourage you that even as we start to get toward the very end of the sermon and of the services, that you will leave your Bible open until the service is completely done. Because a lot of people will close their Bible five minutes before services are done, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes before services are done. It seems like people just want to shut out the Word of God and quench the Spirit and get over it and just put an end to the movement of God. People are too much in a hurry to end the services. I encourage you to take delight in the word of the Lord and to not quench the Spirit, but to allow and promote His Spirit to continue to move. Remember in the Bible that Paul preached past midnight and the one poor guy even fell out the window because he fell asleep because he was up in the window, which was open, and can you imagine being in a, a, a synagogue or church building and where all the windows are open or some of the windows are open and people are actually sitting and laying up in the windows? Well, I, I've heard many stories in my life, even, even here in the United States, where when I was a child, the churches were so full that there were people actually looking in the windows to hear the word of God. 
because all the seats were full. When I was a child, the churches were full here in eastern Tennessee. But now, even in the Babylonian churches, a lot of them only have only the minister and his wife, their family, maybe some friends, maybe one couple or one person, two couples or three people, in a lot of churches, a lot of churches. Of course, you do have the big mega churches for thousands of people. But it's also true that there are a lot of churches, especially those that are teaching the most truth, where there's only one or two people now. There has been a great falling away that's been occurring for decades. Absolutely. And it continues to intensify. And the more truth that a church has, the less people that will come to that church gathering. I guarantee you. That is to be expected because the world does not love truth and does not want truth. And as much as I realize that, understand that, and comprehend that, it seems that my comprehension of that fact continues to grow, if you can believe it or not. It's like when you think you already understand the magnitude of the wickedness of the world and how much they hate the truth and do not love the truth, as much as you already believe and understand it very, very, very deeply, the longer you live, the even more deeply that you will understand and comprehend it even more as the days go by. Even as God himself never ceases to amaze us, even the wickedness of this world never ceases to amaze us of how wicked they are. But among this battle of good and evil, we are promised. We have read the end of the book. We know how it's going to come out. It is not a mystery. It is not a secret. We know that we will have the ultimate victory. But we need to be reminded of that. But not only should we be reminded that we're going to have the ultimate victory, but we also have to be reminded that we should expect to lose a lot of battles before the final day of victory. There will be battles won and battles lost on both sides. The enemy will win a lot of battles. We have to face that fact. We're going to learn why. We're going to learn why the enemy must win a lot of battles. And we're going to learn also that we're also going to win a lot of battles. Any war is fought with battles won and battles lost repeatedly on both sides. It will go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That is war. That is the reality of war. And we must face that fact and realize it, comprehend it more as the days go by. But have our focus 
on the finish line with the realization and full faith and full trust and full belief without doubt that on the final day the victory is ours. On this last day of 2016, even though the truth is this is not the beginning of another year because it's really only recently in modern history that they changed the beginning of the year from the middle of March to January 1st. That that was like as recent as maybe, I think, 16 or 1700s, I think. So it's only a recent invention for the purpose of expanding the Christmas shopping season. This is not really a new year, but just one more continuation of their pagan fiestas, of their pagan and commercialism and so forth. That God's people have their days. Amen. And we know that today is the eighth day, the last day of the Fiesta of Dedication, which is now known by the word Hanukkah. And Hanukkah represents that the Maccabees and the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, had victory against the Syrian king, Anarchus, Apritides. For us, the New Covenant Church of the last days, of the last generation of the end times, for the Church of the Great Tribulation, and that's who we are, the Church of the Great Tribulation, we need to know who we are and embrace our identity. For us, for the Church of the Great Tribulation, Hanukkah represents our victory against all of our enemies, but first and primarily our ultimate victory that we're going to have against the Assyrian king, Bashar Assad. People are so easily driven to and fro left and right, from one doctrine to another doctrine. And people don't know what to believe. And it's not easy for them to accept and believe that what they call the Antichrist is the president of Syria. They'd rather believe it's Prince Charles or Obama or the president of Turkey or somebody else rather than to believe the truth. And so as different battles happen and Trump wins the election of America and so-and-so and this news event and another news event and other events happen in the news across the world, people wonder what is going to happen. And people are not very well anchored in the truth. They become to know the truth and then are so easily plucked up from the truth. People don't have a full, solid routine in the truth. But we need to become solidly rooted in knowing our enemy, 
We need to know who our enemy is. Our ultimate enemy, of course, is the devil, Satan, that dragon, that serpent of old. But not him alone, because he has one-third of the angels rebelled against God. And one-third of the angels that rebelled against God now stands with Satan. So all of those one-third angels are our enemies as well. He has an army of troops, of fallen angels, and they are our enemy. But one of those fallen angels that stands with Assad is a fallen angel that we know now as Bashar Assad. I prove that. Actually, Jesus proves it in the article on the website at I Saw the Light Ministries dot com slash temple dot html that article which i wrote or god had me to write started out as being an article about proving that a jewish temple a third temple will not be built in the great tribulation despite and regardless of all the traditional denominational doctrines of mankind such a temple of animal sacrifices during the Great Tribulation will not be built. Because the Bible says very, very clearly, more than one time, that the temple of God is in heaven. When it's talking about the temple that the Antichrist will sit in, manifesting himself as God, that's going to be Assad, which is the name of an angel, very well known in the Middle East, among the Arab Islamic people, that Assad is the name of an angel. They know it is. That's a, that's a fact. It is the angel that the people who do the tarot cards, palm reading and other forms of witchcraft, that they pray to the angel Assad. So they know his name as an angel. <coughs> And other proof that I have on that article, it started out as proving that the temple would not be built because the temple is in heaven. And that is where the abomination of desolation will occur, spoken of by Daniel in Daniel 12. When Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, he wasn't talking about the ones fulfilled by Antiochus because that had already happened. So how can he be talking about that? Those had already been fulfilled before Jesus spoke that. <clears throat> so how can it be talking about that? But rather he was talking about a future abomination or desolation spoken of by Daniel. So it's Daniel 12 of the end time. And when that happens, there will be a great war in heaven, Revelation 12. Michael, the archangel, will step aside, be taken out of the way, 2 Thessalonians 2. That Michael, the archangel, will be taken out of the way from protecting the throne of God, and God will allow the fallen angel of Assad, waging war in heaven, Revelation 12, to sit in the seat of God in the temple of God, displaying himself as God to the whole world. That sky was split, 
and all these people that have been programmed and brainwashed to believe in the pre-trib rapture. And they see that sky split and see a thought in the sky. He won't appear as he appears now, but he will appear angelic. He will appear as a spirit being. He will appear to appear like God, showing himself as God. This is what the Bible says, if we believe it. 2 Thessalonians 2. Study it for yourselves. That's going to occur in World War III, and war was spread across the world (coughs) because it will be announced that he is God and you either worship him or we will invade your nation. Now, we should not be afraid of these things. The Bible says, fear not the Assyrian in the book of Isaiah, talking about the end times, talking about the great tribulation, talking about the coming of the Lord. It says, fear not the Assyrian. It is an end time context. We should not fear the invasions. We should not fear the president of North Korea. We should not fear the president of Russia. We should not fear the president of Iran. We should not fear the president of the Philippines or the president of Syria. But rather we need to understand that these things must occur. And if we understand and really comprehend be solidly rooted and grounded in the truth and in faith and trust in Jesus Christ and our ultimate victory, then we shall not be shaken about these things. We should not be scared and fearful of these things. But rather, we should understand these things and be given peace and comfort knowing that God gave us this information before it happened and why it must occur. Let's go to Daniel 7, verse 19. Daniel 7, verse 19. Then I desire to know. Amen. I desire to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze. This is a symbolism, a vision, a dream about the last empire in our day and our time. The last empire before Jesus comes back. The last government on earth before Jesus comes back. This government will be all over the world under the power of Syria. It says, it has teeth of iron, claws of bronze, and which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with its feet. Meaning that he takes over all nations, as the Bible says in Revelation 13. And verse 20 says, and the meaning of the ten horns were, that were in his head, and the other horn which came up, came before which three of them fell, namely, that horn 
the Antichrist, which had eyes, or knowledge of eyes, because he's an eye doctor, and a mouth uttering great boasts, and which was larger in appearance than its associates. Assad is extremely tall, taller than any other prime minister or president of any nation that I know of. Verse 21. I kept looking. And that horn was waging war with the saints, not just with carnal nations, but with a spiritual nation of the kingdom of God. See, we are a holy priesthood, a holy nation. So he's waging war against America and Israel, but also against the nation of God, the saints, the army of God. We are a nation and we are an army. And Assad is among our arch enemy. The devil being the arch enemy and Assad being the second arch enemy. <coughs> Excuse me. And Assad's going to be waging war with us. And guess what? Overpowering. Overpowering the church. Overpowering the saints. This is the opposite of the pre-trib rapture. This is proof, solid, proof, solid, no pre-trib rapture. Verse 22, until. It's only a temporary victory. It's only a battle won by the enemy. It's not the ultimate victory. He's not going to get the ultimate victory against us. But he's going to win some battles against the church. He's going to win some battles against God's people. <clears throat> this is written in the Word of God. It's going to happen. People need to be taught this. People need to believe this, understand this. But no, your Baptist church, your Pentecostal church, your Lutheran church, your Catholic church, and all the other churches are teaching you that we're just going to be caught up into heaven and not have to fight. They're teaching you, God will fight for you. You don't have to fight. But the truth is, we are in a war, and it's real. Very, very real. Amen. But these battles that the enemy wins is only temporary until the agent of days talking about Jesus comes. And judgment was passed in favor of the saints, of the highest one, <laughs> the highest one. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. The time will come that the whole world will be given into our hands. Amen. Now look at chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. Verse 6, Daniel 12, verse 6. And one said to the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? I heard the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, 
as he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven, swore by him to live forever. That would be for a time, times and a half a time. That's three and a half years, not seven years. Three and a half. If it was seven years, it would say a time and 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 a time. But it don't say that. It's only one time and two times and half a time. That's three and a half years. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, finish shattering the power of the holy people. The fact is that much of the church will have to go into hiding even as it did during the time of the Maccabees, even as it did during the time of the Syrian invasion of Jerusalem in 70 AD. It was a Syrian invasion. Syrian armies from Syria under the power and authority of the Roman Empire. But it was Syrian army. So here we see, so far, two verses. Declaring that the church, the holy people, the saints, are going to be physically in a war, not just spiritually. And the Antichrist is going to win some battles against us. We have to accept that fact, face the reality, not believe in fairy tales of being caught away before it happens. And not always trust in protection. We have to face the fact that God does not always protect us. But, even if they do sow us in the fiery furnace, even if they do torture us in the chamber, even if they do slaughter us, kill us, martyr us, that God is able to raise us from the dead again. Even if our bodies are cremated, that God is not hindered. God is not limited. God is not weak. He is able to raise us from the dead. Whether we are cremated or buried, it does not matter. For God is able to raise the dead. And whether we are cremated or buried, we're going to end up ashes anyway physically. And it is the spirit that he raises, the soul, and not the ashes, if we raise in the first resurrection. Of course, the second resurrection is a physical resurrection, but that second resurrection, after the thousand years is over, that second resurrection will be a resurrection of the flesh, but God will give us, or those people, a new body made from the dirt of the ground, even as he formed Adam out of the dirt of the ground. God didn't look at the dirt of the ground and say, I cannot make a man, because he's ashes. No. God is not weak. It doesn't matter whether somebody's cremated or not. In fact, cremation is God's preferred way. As he recently showed me, and has written at I Saw the Light Ministries, 
in the part two section, if we look at the articles section two, that new article there. Now let's go to Revelation 13. Revelation 13, verse While people are still turning to Revelation 13, I'd like to welcome on the internet our brother Larry. I've not seen you for a while, Prophet Larry, but I'm so glad to see you. It shows your name up there on TalkShoe. So I'm really, really glad to see you. And I appreciate that you're tuning in today. Also, a special shout out to our families in South Korea. AJ and your wife, Aiden and your wife, Mrs. Moon, anybody else that's listening in South Korea, Canada, Australia, Johnny, listening from the San Diego area, appreciate all of you. In Revelation 13, verses 5, verse 5 says, There was given to him, the Antichrist, a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months is given to him. That's three and a half years, not seven years. But he's given power by God, by the devil as well. But all power and all authority is ultimately given by God himself. Even the power that's given through the devil. There is no power, but only from God. All spiritual realm, all wind, all fire, all elements of the earth, all things were created by God. And there is nothing that was not created by God, and all power ultimately comes from God. And it's given to the Antichrist to have that power for 42 months. In verse 6, and he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blasphemy his name and his tabernacle, the temple. <coughs> that is, those that dwell in heaven after the seventh trump. In verse 7, it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. It is ordained ordained for Assad to win some battles. To overcome them in authority over every tribe. That means all 12 tribes of Israel over the Jews, over all races, all colors, all tongues, it says, and people and tongue, which is language, and nation was given to him. Some people say that don't mean what it says. But it does mean what it says. Yes, Assad will win the war against the United States, Australia, South Africa, 
all nations, all nations. Every language would include the English language, right? Right. But it's given to him because it must occur. Look at John 19. John 19, Jesus was standing in the presence of Papa's Pilate, have you pronounced that? John 19, verse 8, where Jesus is sentenced to be crucified. Jesus could have called thousands of angels, tens of thousands of angels, hundreds of thousands of angels, perhaps millions of angels, absolutely millions of angels. Jesus could have called them. But he didn't need to call them He could have just spoken the word and everybody, everybody would have been dead. Jesus could have killed all the Roman Empire with one breath. One breath. He could have killed all the Roman Empire. Even without the help of angels. But instead, he actually gave them power to crucify him gave them the power to crucify him. The Bible says that no man took the life of Jesus. Nobody. He laid down his own life as a sacrifice for us. In John 19, verse 8, Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid, and he entered into the uh, praetorium, again, and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you, and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, you have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, He who delivered me unto you has the greater sin. Meaning, those religious nuts, those religious hypocrites of the Babylonian Jews, speaking the Assyrian language, waging war against the Greek language, waging war against Jesus and his apostles and prophets of all time, They are the ones that handled Jesus over to the Roman rulers. They are the ones that had the greater sin. A greater sin than the Romans, greater sin than the Roman sin, was the sin of the Jews, Babylonian Jews. I say this as a person with some Jewish bloodline. Truth. It's the truth that the greater sin was upon those religious nuts. Amen? And some people say all sin is the same. Sin is sin. But the Bible does tell us that there's some sin that is a greater sin. The Bible even says in the book of 1 John that there's a sin unto death and a sin not unto death. There are differences in sin. 
there are differences in sin. Not every sin is called an abomination unto the Lord. But some sins are called an abomination unto the Lord. Some sins were punishable in the Old Covenant by stoning. Others were not. There are differences in sin, regardless of traditional denominational doctrine. But the point, main point, is that the Jews and Rome both would not have power to crucify Jesus except that they were given the power from above, from God. So when Assad and other rulers starts winning the battles of war, we must remember that they are given the power from God to do this. When North Korea attacks South Korea, when Russia and China attacks America, when China attacks Australia, so forth and so forth, we need to remember and have peace and comfort in the fact and boldness and bravery in the fact that they're not doing these things for no reason, but rather because God has granted them the power and the authority to do these things for a reason. For a reason. Good reason. Because God is not a God to just spank us for no reason, but rather for a good reason. God is just, righteous. Amen. And there are three reasons Three main reasons why the enemy is ordained and given power to win some battles against the church and against the tribes of Israel. There are reasons because God is just. The three reasons, three main reasons that the enemy is given to win some battles. Reason number one, not necessarily in any order, of importance, but reason number one is judgment on the wicked. Amen. The fact is that the nation of Israel, even though they are God's people, the nation of Israel is sinful. The nation of Israel that we know today, which is actually only the tribe of Judah, but they are not the entirety of Israel, but rather they're only part of Israel. They are the tribe of Judah. They're sinful. They do worship the spirit of the Antichrist, the Assyrian. They speak the Assyrian language. They speak Assyrian words which refer to Assad and the devil when they pray. When they pray and when they worship and lift their hands up to the wide names of uh, Yahweh and Yah and stuff like that. Even the Muslims, even the Muslims admit that Yahweh and Yahshua and all those are referring to Allah. It is fact. It is documented. And God has proven that in the article at I saw the light ministries dot com slash sacred names. 
www.hgmhealth.html. The article about what is the name of God. Go there and study it for yourself in fasting and in prayer and see if it is true. And Jerusalem has become one of the world's number one spots for homosexuality and witchcraft and compromise with Islam and everything else. So Jerusalem must be punished. The tribe of the Jews must be punished. America must be punished. South Africa must be punished. Australia must be punished. South Korea must be punished. Australia must be punished. So forth. Canada must be punished. All the nations of this world have turned their back on God, rejected God straight out. They have spit in his face. They have slapped him. They have cursed him. They have denied his name, rejected his name, and cursed his name. All nations must be punished. And that is why God will deliver all the nations into the hand of the Assyrian because the Bible says that the Assyrian is the rod of his inundation, of his wrath, of his anger. God will use a sod as a paddle, as a belt to spank the nations. Why does God choose the wicked to judge the wicked? Because it humbles the wicked. And because the practice of the wicked is to eat their own. That is the practice of the wicked is to eat their own. Wicked people have that heart. They have their appearance of righteousness. They claim peace. They use that word peace. They use the word love. They use scripture. Yeah, they use scripture. They use that word peace. They use that word love. But they have a heart of hate, a heart of war, a heart of destruction. And they turn against even their own people. So God will use them. God will use their heart, their actions, and the way that they are and allow the wicked to destroy the wicked and allow them to destroy themselves. Amen. God will allow Assad to be the paddle, the belt, to judge the nations and punish the nations in order to show that how wicked they are, how the wicked turn against their own peoples, how the wicked is against all things. The wicked is against him. The wicked is against you. The wicked is against righteousness. The wicked is against love. The wicked is against peace. So that's reason number two, because reason number one, judgment on the wicked. Reason number two is to reveal to all humanity, how wicked wickedness is. 
Amen. To reveal that they're really not about love. Homosexuality is not about love. It's about lust. It's about wickedness. It's about rebellion. Amen. And the wicked is not about peace on earth. Because the wicked, these very same people that's calling love, 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 and peace, 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 are so happy to destroy and hate the righteous. Amen. To show the magnitude of the wicked and show the consequences of pride, to show the consequences of sin and lawlessness and rebellion, to show that God is just, his ways are truly the best, and that he is righteous. Amen. All this is part of reason number two. I will repeat some of this for those taking notes. To show the magnitude of the wicked, to show the consequences of pride and sin, lawlessness, and rebellion. To show that God is just and righteous. And his ways are truly best. To help us to eventually become able to righteously judge the angels. This is much more than just three reasons. But to be able to to get us to the point eventually to where we're going to be able to judge the angels. Look at that verse in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 3. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 3. Because there's also a verse over in Peter somewhere where it talks about that there are angels reserved for judgment. Amen? There are angels reserved for judgment. One Corinthians six, verse three, it says, Do you not know? Do you not know this? That we will judge angels. When? Well, not right now, because right now, for us to judge angels would be hypocritical, because we ain't got our own lives right yet. None of us do. We're getting there, but we've not yet attained. But after we see all the great tribulation, we see the 1,000 years, we see the second resurrection, and we see the 100 years, and we see all that the wicked have done throughout all of human history, we stand there at the great white throne judgment, 
It won't just be Jesus on the throne judging the people and the angels. On that day of the great white throne judgment, at the end of the 1,100 years, it won't just be Jesus judging the nations and separating the people on the left and on the right, that we will be there, the people that rose in the first resurrection at the seventh trumpet. We will be there on thrones with him as a council of judges judging him in the regeneration when Jesus said in Matthew unto the disciples that you will in the regeneration be on the thrones with me judging the nations. And we would judge angels on that day. The great white throne judgment, guess what? It's not just to judge the humans, but also the angels. And those angels in the book of Peter that is reserved until judgment will be judged on that same day. And we will render the judgment. Because through the great tribulation, we're going to start comprehending even more how evil a saw it is. We don't understand yet. We don't understand yet how evil a saw it is. But we're going to. Amen. We don't understand yet how evil the president of Russia is, how evil the president of China is. But we're going to learn. Amen. And by the time the great white throne judgment comes, we're going to be finally at the point of full maturity of where we know and really and truly 100% comprehend how evil evil is. How evil a saw it is, how evil all the fallen angels are, and be able to judge righteously. Amen. Another reason that God gives the enemy a lot of victories in the Great Tribulation to win a lot of battles is to purify the saints. Look at 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, over there close to the book of Revelation. Purify the saints. Not just to judge the wicked, but to purify the saints. We need the great tribulation to come. We need North Korea to invade. We need China to invade. We need Russia to invade. We need Syria to invade. We need World War III. We need the Great Tribulation. We need the chastisement and the punishment and the spanking. We need all these things. God is just. God is righteous. We need these things. We deserve these things in order to be purified and made ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. 1 Peter 1, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result 
in praise and glory and honor at the revelation, or rather the appearing, of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Amen. We need to be tested. We need the trials. We need the proving of our faith. These things are more precious than gold. A lot of people want to win the lottery. A lot of people want gold. A lot of people want fancy cars and everything else. We should want trials and tribulation because they're more precious than all those things. I know that's hard to believe, hard to come to that point. But when we see how wicked the world is becoming, more and more and more, I find myself wanting the great tribulation to come. Because the fact is, the reality is that we need it. We need to start comprehending that more and more and more and more until we get like David was and until we get like children are and like the saints that their blood cries out from the grave asking God, when will you avenge our souls? When will you avenge our blood? calling out for war upon the wicked. David called out for war and destruction of the wicked. Children, when they know how wicked somebody is, they will ask, well, how come that they get away with it? How come they're not destroyed? Children will call out for judgment upon the wicked. But modern, Western, adult, so-called Christians are under the delusion that love means that you should never spank. So, so-called Western, modern, so-called Christians in the United States are under the delusion that love means that you do not spank, you do not punish, you do not offend. You do not speak boldly. You do not should not should not speak the truth against homosexuality. You should not speak the truth against Islam. You should not speak the truth against religion, against that religion and that religion and that religion. We should just get along and love one another and be at peace with one another. But at the same time they will bite your head off, chew you up and spit you out because you are a true Christian because their heart is a heart of war and they are hypocrites and they hate you and they want to see you dead. Amen. And that's the truth. The church needs to open our eyes and realize what the truth is, that they hate us and that we're in a war. And their ideal of love and peace is not God's ideal of love and peace. Amen. We should not think that we're going to save the people in Babylon by staying in Babylon with them. That is foolish thinking, ignorant thinking. 
We cannot save the Babylonian people by going to church with them because all we're doing is partaking in their sin. You cannot save an alcoholic by getting drunk with him. You cannot stop a person from cursing by cursing with him. <laughs> you cannot stop a person from, from committing adultery by committing adultery, adultery with him. You cannot save a person in Babylon by continuing to go to Babylon. But rather, if you want to see that person saved from Babylon, you must yourself come out of Babylon, stop being a hypocrite, and come out of Babylon first, come out of Babylon as an example unto them that they should also follow you out of Babylon. Amen. But now, on this last day of the fiesta of victory, on this last day of the fiesta of victory, of dedication, let us now review some scriptures that show that we're going to win some battles as well. Amen? We must face the reality that, yes, that those evil nations are going to win some battles against us. We need to face that reality. But we also need to remember that we're going to win some battles along the way as well. We're going to lose some and win some. And it will go back and forth and back and forth until the last battle of which we win. Think of the seven trumpets. You got seven seals. And when you come down to that seventh seal, there's going to be seven trumpets then. What is a trumpet? A trumpet is blown in war. Think about Jericho, how they marched around the city of Jericho, which was a symbolism for Babylon. They marched around it for seven days which is a symbol of the seven seals. And they marched around on the seventh day seven times, which is a symbolism of the seven trumpets. And each time and each day that they marched around, the victory got closer and closer and closer and closer. The first day that they marched around, Jericho on the first day, it might have seemed pretty, pretty silly. It might have seemed silly to just walk around this city and think that we're actually doing something, just marching around the walls. And you can imagine the people on the other side as well, the people up on top of the walls, the people, the Jerichoans, <laughs> the Jericonians, the people of Jericho, that day, looking down upon the Israelites marching around, laughing at them, mocking at them. Ha, 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 you can't get me, you can't get me, you can't get through these walls. And you just want to march around blowing a trumpet. 
And so in our lives today, it may seem pretty silly to think that by singing and dancing and playing our musical instruments and worshiping the Lord, that we're going to get victory against the enemy. It looks like the enemy is winning. It looks like the enemy is winning against America, against the church, against Christianity, against the truth. But even as Paul and Silas, at the midnight hour, with the chains around their feet, in prison for preaching in Jesus' name, they sung songs in the dark midnight hour. You know that dungeon cell, prison cell must have been awful dark at the midnight hour, chains around their feet. But God brought an earthquake, symbolism of the earthquakes of the end times, and broke those chains and released them from jail. But they did not leave. And that might have seemed pretty foolish that they didn't run out of the jail. But they stayed there and resulted in the jailer not committing suicide even though he was going to. They stayed there, prevented the man's suicide, and the man and his whole family got baptized and saved in that very same night or the next day. Amen. So, even when the times are very drastic, it may not seem like we're going to win this battle, but we've got to keep the mind frame that whether we win or lose this battle, God is able to raise our soul from the dead. God is able to raise us from the dead. And we are going to have the final battle. So you might as well sing. Amen. <laughs> you might as well sing. You might as well march around the couch and blow your trumpet and your shofar. You might as well enjoy life and rejoice even in the bad times and take rejoicement even in your trials and tribulations. As Paul said that he did, and I believe him. Amen. Take rejoice in your infirmities, in your sickness, in your afflictions. When men persecute you, rejoice for the same they did to the prophets and apostles, even to Jesus before you. Are you even are you any greater than your master? No. Are you any greater than the apostles and prophets of old? No. Even as they suffered persecution and martyrdom, let us be honored to be martyred. Let us be honored to be in jail and in prison. Let us even look forward to it. Because I, I tell you, there's been times when I wonder, why am I not been arrested yet for the sake of the kingdom? Because that actually kept at times in my life brought shame to me. And I was ashamed and embarrassed and ashamed that I've not been arrested for the kingdom yet. Because it would be a great honor. Bring honor to the church and to the kingdom to be arrested, to be martyred is a great honor and not to be ashamed of. Not to be ashamed or embarrassed or afraid 
to die for the king that laid down his own life for us. The king laid down his own life for us that we will not have to die in the lake of fire. If the king was so great and loved us with true love, true love, pure love, that he gave his own life, that we would not have to die in the second death, then why should we fear any man or anything knowing that we have such a great king? Why should we fear? Why should we fear? When we know that we will live again and that we have the ultimate victory already written, the book has been written, We've read the final page, and it said, everything that it says, and it will happen, and it is ordained to happen, and God is righteous, and God is just to bring it about, and everything that happens, happens for a reason. So embrace it. Embrace it. Accept it. Amen. Praise God. Look at Revelation 20. Let's look at some of these victories that we're going to have. We're going to have the blowing of the seven trumpets. And when that first trumpet blows of the seventh seal, immediately after the sixth seal, the sixth seal will be the sun and the moon darkened and the stars fall from heaven and the earth will shake. Then you have the rising of the 144,000 uh, young virgin males that's going to evangelize the whole world with the truth in that final few months before Jesus comes back. You're going to have that first trumpet blow, and that is a trumpet of war. And that first trumpet that blows and whatever it says, the Bible says, that comes down upon the earth at that time, that is going to be a battle one for us. After two years or more of Assad winning battle after battle after battle, Russia and China and Syria dominating the world throughout the fifth and sixth seal. But that seventh seal comes. It's approaching the midnight hour. Amen. Praise God. As the battles have raged and so many have died and so many have been martyred, and it's getting closer to the midnight hour when the ten virgins are sleeping. Five are ready and five are not. That first trumpet blows finally. Finally, 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 a battle for us is won. A second trumpet blows, another battle is won for us. God is ushering in his kingdom, falling far down on the planet, upon the wicked. The third trumpet blows, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth trumpet blows. Then guess what? The seventh trumpet. The seventh wonderful, 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 glorious trumpet that shall wake the dead. Amen. Praise God and all those that sleep in Christ Jesus. All ten virgins were asleep 
at the midnight hour. The five were ready. The five were not. Those five that were ready will rise at that seventh glorious and wonderful trumpet. Amen. Rise up into heaven and partake of the marriage supper of the Lamb of God, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Praise God. That's going to be a battle one. Then after that seventh trumpet, there's going to be seven vials. The wrath of God poured upon the earth, upon the wicked, for 45 days, 41 and a half up to 45 days. And each one of those vials that get poured upon the wicked, it's going to be another battle won for the righteous. Another battle that the wicked lose. The first vial and the second vial and the third vial or bowl, whatever you want to call it, plague, the third and the fourth plague and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh plague. And then that final vial or bowl or plague of the wrath of God is poured out on the very same day that we come back down with Jesus on the day of the battle of Armageddon, one more battle, the battle of Armageddon. We're going to win. Amen. And that is described in Revelation 19. Revelation 19, let's go there, Revelation 19, verse 20. Look at verse 19, actually, Revelation 19, verse 19. And I saw the beast, Assad, and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him, Jesus, who sat on the horse and against his army, us. A war, real war, physical war, spiritual as well. Verse 20, and the beast, Assad, was seized, and with him the false prophet, meaning the Pope, who performed the signs in all in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, which is Islam, and those who worshipped his image, these two, the Pope and Assad, were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. That's victory. And it is written, and it will happen. Amen. Praise God. So on this eighth day, the last day of the fiesta of victory, the fiesta of dedication, Hanukkah, let's remember that on the battle of Armageddon, when we come down with Jesus riding on white horses, Assad and the Pope will be arrested and thrown into the lake of fire, and they will die. They will die. Because everything that's thrown into the lake of fire, if it's not eternal spirit, it will die, it will perish, it will be eliminated, it will be annihilated. Nothing can survive the lake of fire other than the saints of God and God himself. But there's some more people that's going to die that day too. Verse 21. The rest, the humans, were killed with the sword of God, the word of God, which came forth out of the mouth of him, Jesus, 
who sat on the horse, the white horse, and all the birds, the raptors, were filled with their flesh. So that's the Russian army killed, the Chinese army killed, the Syrian army killed, the Iranian army killed. They're going to lose that battle of the battle of Armageddon. We're going to win it. Amen. So there's your battle against Assad, your battle won against Assad, your battle won against the Catholic Church, your battle won against the Pope, your battle won against fallen angels, your battle won against the Antichrist, your battle won against Russia and China and North Korea, your battle won. But guess what? We're also going to win against the devil himself. Chapter 20, verse 1, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding the key of the abyss, the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil of Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the abyss, and shut it, and sealed it over him. The devil is going to be in prison for a thousand years. I believe that prison is Tartarus where the angels of the book of Peter, the angels are reserved into judgment. I believe that the devil will be thrown in the same location until the thousand years are finished. It says, so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. Now that he thinks he must be released for a short time. So it's only a temporary battle. That is one against the devil. The devil is going to be lit out of prison after the thousand years is over. And so a lot of people are like, why? Oh, no. God is just. God knows what he's doing. Every time the enemy is released, every time the enemy wins a battle, we must remember God is in control. This is ordained to happen. God knows what he is doing. and We trust in him that whatever happens, God is able to take care of it. Sooner or later, God will take care of it, and the battle, the war, the last battle, will be ours, that we will win. Amen. So even after Jesus comes back, not all war and not all battle is done with yet, even though the churches of this world teach you that when Jesus comes back, there will be peace forever. And that's a lie of the devil. But the truth is that even Ezekiel, uh, even uh, Zechariah 14 talks about even during the thousand years, there will still be sin and rebellion and still be judgment even during the thousand years. And even in, after the thousand years, <clears throat> the devil is let out. At the same time the devil was let out, all the lost people that's ever, ever, ever lived in all of human history, all the way back to Adam and Eve, they're going to come back to life at that second resurrection after those thousand years. So all these wicked people. But not all of them like wicked, wicked. A lot of them are just lost, unsaved. A lot of these people never even heard the name of Jesus. A lot of these people never even heard the truth. 
They're going to come back to life. Gave in a flesh and blood body out of the dirt of the ground like Adam was. They're going to live for 100 years. Isaiah 65, verse 20. And they will not die. They will not be able to kill themselves. They will not be able to commit suicide. They will not be able to commit adultery. They will not be able to die for any reason, any sickness, any affliction. No no death resulting from a car accident or cancer or anything because the Bible promises us, it promises us, Isaiah 65, verse 20, that even the infant of days and the old man sinner both, that they will not die until the 100 years is finished, that everybody will live to be 100 years old that are risen in the second resurrection. Also pictured in... uh, the Valley of Dry Bones of Revelation, I'm not Revelation, but Ezekiel. Is it chapter 36 or chapter 37? One of those. I think 36 of Ezekiel. And then after those 100 years, there's another battle. Yep, another battle after, after the 100 years. And it says here in Revelation 20, Verse 7, and when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations, which lasts for a hundred years, to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war and battle at the end of the hundred years. And the number of them is like the sand of the seashore. A lot of wicked people. Millions, millions, billions of wicked people at the end of the hundred years. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, Jerusalem. And fire came down. This is the lake of fire. that comes down out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil, which deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. And like I said, nothing can survive the lake of fire. Nothing except for the saints of God who are turned into eternal spirits and angels of God. But the fallen angels cannot survive and the wicked people cannot survive. No wickedness can survive the lake of fire, the only, the pure, the good, the righteous angels and saints. And they're not going to be tormented day and night no, that they will die. They will perish. We've got to face the fact and face the reality that the Bible has been twisted, added to, and taken away and translated over and over and over and over. And every time it was translated, whoever translated it, added words and took away words and translated words to make it come out to look like however they believe in their religion. If it's a Catholic Bible, it would be Catholic doctrine. If it's a Baptist doctrine, a Baptist Bible is Baptist doctrine. If it's a Jehovah Witness Bible, it's Jehovah Witness doctrine. Whoever translates every Bible, every Bible has ever been translated, even the King James Version, is based upon the belief of the human that translates it. And that's fact, and that's reality. And we need to understand and comprehend that. And that is why Jesus had me to publish the Alpha and Omega Bible. You can download it for free onto your phone, 
onto your laptop, onto your computer, computer, onto your tablet, and you can order free copies or order purchased copies, whatever you want to do, of the Alpha and Omega Bible. And yes, it is translated on the belief and understanding of true doctrine of the translator, of the publisher, of I Saw the Light Ministries. But when I was translating words and when I was adding notes, I tried to be objective as possible, to not try to make it come out the way I want it to be, but rather, what does this Greek word mean? What does this Hebrew word mean? What does this Syrian word mean? What does it mean? Without trying to twist it into what mankind wants it to be. And I've got to tell you, I was stunned, shocked, astonished, over and over and over again, how much mankind has added to and taken away and twisted and translated words that it doesn't even mean over and over and over in the King James and New American Standard and NIV and every translation. Every translation is that way. They just add words, take away words, translate it in words that it don't even mean to make it come out in the doctrine of the person translating. That's fact. Research it for yourself. Get deep into your study of the Bible and prove all things. Prove it. And if you do not agree with me, prove me wrong instead of just throwing out accusations that I'm not right, you're not right, you're not telling the truth, you're not telling the truth, or you're deceived or you're deceived. Prove it. Prove it. Get deep in your study of the Bible. Amen. We're going to have the victory. In Jesus' holy name. Look at 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to have the victory over the devil. We're going to have the victory over Sod over the Pope, over the Catholic Church, over false doctrine, over false religion and lies and false doctrines and everything else. But another thing we're going to have victory over is death, grave. We're going to have the victory over the grave. Amen. Keep a bookmark. In 1 Corinthians 15, we'll come right back to it. But let's go real quick to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. This is important. Matthew 16, verse 18. Matthew 16, verse 18. But I say to you, Jesus is talking to Peter. He says, I say to you that you're Peter. And that word Peter, his name Peter, the Greek word means a small rock. And upon this rock, 
And that Greek word for rock there means a bedrock, a large rock, a huge stone, the bedrock, the foundation, a foundation stone. Upon this foundation stone, I will build my church. He wasn't saying, Peter, I'm going to build my church upon you. He wasn't saying that. He was saying to Peter, I am the foundation stone, and I will build my church upon myself. Because if you build a church on man, it will fall. But if you build a church on Jesus Christ, it will not fall. Amen. And it says the gates of the grave is what it should be translated here. The gates of the grave will not overpower it. What is it? It is two things. The grave will not overpower the body of Jesus Christ. He's saying to Peter, I am the foundation stone. I am the chief cornerstone. I am the foundation of the church. I'm building the church upon myself, upon my words, upon my doctrines, upon my body, upon the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So when you take communion of the body and blood of Jesus Christ symbolized, through the communion, bread and wine. We are taking communion in the church, the body of Christ. And we are... uh, But it is saying here also that that grave is not going to hold his body down. Amen. That Jesus would be risen from the grave, that the grave will not overpower the body of Jesus Christ, the foundation stone, that Jesus would be raised from the dead. That's what it means. But it also means a second thing. What is the church? The church is the body of Christ. We are the mouth, the hands, the feet of Jesus Christ upon this earth now. We are the body of Christ. Him being the head of the church us being the legs and feet of the church. Amen. So it also means that the grave will not hold us down. Amen. We are crucified with Christ, resurrected with Christ. Amen. Praise God. I just want to shoot through the ceiling right now. I want to jump right now. I could jump a tall building right now. Because the grave is not going to hold my body down. Whether I am buried or cremated, whether I die young or old, whether I am martyred or shot, it don't matter. Fear not them that's able to kill the body, but only him that's able to destroy both soul and body in Jehina, the lake of fire. Amen. That grave will not overpower this body. Crucified, oh, Lord have mercy, praise God Almighty. Words cannot express, words cannot express that shout of joy that will be shouted on that day of resurrection. Amen. Praise God Almighty. Praise the Lord. Victory is ours. Go back to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 20. 
tell you, God has confirmed, confirmed this sermon over and over. Praise your holy name. Even as I wrote this sermon out this morning, as God was giving me the scriptures and the words and the sentences to say, I was writing it on the very last page of this notebook. As this notebook has the sermons in it for the last few weeks or months, coming to the very last page of this notebook, writing the last sermon for 2016 and for the last day of a fiesta of dedication. Amen. Praise God. That in itself is not coincidence, but ordained as a spiritual confirmation in the flesh of this paper. A confirmation. God is in control. God is in control. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. Amen. He is the first fruits of those who are asleep, dead, in the grave. For since by a man, by a man, Adam, came death, by a man, Christ, also came the resurrection of the dead. Now, Jesus is God. But it calls him a man here because he came in the flesh of man. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die meaning Adam is our great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather of every one of us. Whether you're from Russia or China, Nigeria or Korea, United States or Canada or Australia, regardless of where you're from, regardless of your language, regardless of your race, we all share the same bloodline, and he made all men of one blood, and it all goes back to Adam, everybody. Ever human, ever true and real human on earth, we all descended from Adam, and he is our great-great-great-grandfather. You have the same great-grandfather as I do. We're brothers and sisters through Adam and Eve. Amen? And as all are of the family of Adam, we all die because we're all flesh and blood, except for those people that's going to be arise. In the first resurrection, they will not die if we are alive. <laughs> Let me say that again. We're all going to die except for the people that are still alive when Jesus comes. If we are righteous, if we are true, when Jesus comes, that our spirit will not sleep. But now our flesh will still die. Because if you are, if you are a saint when Jesus comes back, and if you are mature, in Jesus Christ, you, if you are ready to be turned to spirit, eternal spirit, and you are without sin by the time that day comes, then our flesh would die, but our soul will not die. Amen. People say, well, I can't be without sin. Well, that's contrary to what the Bible says, because the Bible says that those that are born of God cannot sin. What well, says. But the fact is, yeah, we can sin, but we have, or we're capable of sin, and we all do sin, but we have to strive to get to the point of what it says that we cannot sin. We have to 
come to that point. We have to get to that point. And until we get to that point, we will not be turned to spirit. Regardless of all the mercy, regardless of all the grace, regardless of the blood of Jesus, no sin will enter the kingdom of God. And no sinful person will enter the kingdom of God. We've not yet attained that we must obtain that perfection. Be holy as I am holy, be perfect as I am perfect. What the Bible says, regardless of traditional brainwashing, you can and will become without sin. It's not that hard. It really isn't. All you have to do is get a made-up mind. I will not sin. I refuse it. I reject it. Refuse it. I will not sin. It's that simple. The temptation may be hard. The temptation may be difficult. But it's as simple as saying, I refuse to sin. But there's a lot of things that people think is sin that's not. We'll talk more about that one of these days, maybe. When I'm willing to lose half of you, <laughs> when I'm willing to lose every person that is so dedicated, we'll talk about some things that are not sin, even though people think it is. But it says here in chapter 15, Verse 22, so as in Adam all died, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Everybody's going to be resurrected. Every person that ever died, both righteous and wicked, will be resurrected. Verse 23, but each in his own order. There's more than one resurrection. Christ, the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. Meaning, there's the first resurrection at the seventh trumpet. And then you've got a thousand years that pass. In verse 24, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father when he has abolished all rule, all authority and power. That is a victory. And that isn't just a battle. It is the war. It is the last battle. You got all the battles that we wage right now. You got all the battles of the Great Tribulation. You got all the battles of the wrath of God, the vows. Then you got the thousand year battles. Then you got the hundred year battles. But the last battle, the last battle is when the lake of fire comes, which will destroy Satan, the fallen angels, and all wicked people. All wicked people that still, even after all that, have still not repented. Those are some awful wicked people. They still haven't repented. After all that, Jesus will abolish, put away, annihilate all rule and all authority and power. Verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. Christ will lay down 
his sonship, and there would no longer be a need for the Son of Man and the Son of God and the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus and the communion and the seventh day and the holy days because when death itself is abolished and the devil is abolished and all wickedness, after that lake of fire, the only thing that will ever, 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 ever exist is only goodness and righteousness, no evil, no darkness, no death, no sickness, no curse, no sinful, no sinful nature will exist. Jesus will always exist. God will always exist. Jesus will always exist. But he will no longer be in the robe of son and servant. We will no longer think about blood. We will no longer think about crucifixion. We will no longer think about death and destruction. And he will surrender to the Father and become whole with him again. Let's keep reading it. It tells you this. Verse 26, the last enemy. Hanukkah represents victory against our enemies. The last enemy that will be abolished is death itself. There's nobody going to be burning forever and ever and ever in hell. It just ain't going to happen. That stupid doctrine. You know, I'm not going to apologize for saying it the way it is. It's stupid doctrine. To think that God is a God of hate. To think that God is a God of hate, that God is a God of torment, that God is a God without mercy, and that he's going to let billions and billions and billions of people burn forever, scream forever, be in torment and pain and agony forever and ever and ever and ever and ever without end. That is a God of hate. That is a God without mercy. That is a God of hate and not a God of love. But that's the God that the devil wants you to believe in. That's what the devil wants you to believe in, and that is the devil that is the God of Babylon. That is the God that you serve when you go to the Baptist church. That is the God that you serve when you go to all these men's churches. You serve a God of hate. God of torment, God without mercy. But the truth is, that lake of fire will will devour and annihilate even hell, even the grave, all wicked, all wicked flesh, all wicked spirit, all wicked soul. He is able, and he will destroy both soul and body in the lake of fire. Even death itself will be abolished. You know what that means? That people will no longer die and that we won't remember the dead and that even the dead will not exist. Even death itself will be annihilated. It's total annihilation. Total annihilation. It will be as the wicked never existed. It will be as the devil never existed. Never existed. Won't that be glorious? Well, that's victory. 
Amen. That is victory. Verse 27. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. Malachi 4 says that the wicked shall be ashes under our feet in the day that he does this. For when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things in him so that God may be made whole. This way it should be translated. In other words, originally, originally, you only had one manifestation of God. That one manifestation of God put part of himself into Mary to be born in the flesh and be the son of man and the son of God. But when there is no longer any flesh, then there would not need to be a son of man and son of God. He will still exist, but instead of having the Father and Son looking at one another, instead of having the Father and Son talking to one another, they were merged back into one. We don't have two gods. They are not two people. They are not two persons. They are not two spirits. They are not two souls. They are not two gods. They are one. They always have been and always will be forever and ever, always has, always will be one. But they appear as two. One of them is a reflection. He is the image of the Father. And they have roles, the role of the Father, the role of the Son. But once all things is accomplished and even death is abolished, then the reflection will no longer be a reflection but rather they were merged back into one. This is reality. We need to understand it. It's not hard. It's not difficult. To understand these things, it really ain't. It's very easy. The problem is all the brainwashing and the programming of the world of Babylon, the false religion, makes it difficult. But it's not difficult. We've just got to uh, abolish the false doctrine and the mind, program, mind programming. And how can we abolish the mind programming and the brainwashing if we're still in the mind programming and the brainwashing? Right? If we're still going to the churches that are lying to us, then how can we... Uh, understand the truth when we've got conflicting voices. We have to come out of Babylon. You have to stop going to the denominational religions. Stop going to their churches. Stop listening to their radio programs. Stop listening to their CDs. Stop reading their books. Because even as good as the book reads, even as good as it is, even as as edifying as it is, even as positive as it is, even as encouraging as it is, it's got a seed of deception in it. 
and a seed will grow. You may not see it grow. You may not know it's growing. But when you keep reading it, keep reading it, keep reading it, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Don't trust what you get out of the dumpster of Babylon. It may look like a beautiful thing. It may smell good, look good, feel good. It may even encourage you. It may even edify you. God may even use it. God can use trash. Yes, he can. But after we've come a certain level of maturity, we shouldn't have to dumpster dive anymore. We shouldn't have to go to the trash anymore to get the truth and to get the encouragement and to get the edification. We shouldn't have to go to Babylon anymore after we reach a certain level of maturity in Jesus Christ. We are not desperate for something to where we need to look in the trash can. We've got all of this Bible and now we've got the Alpha and Omega Bible. We've got the I Saw the Light Ministries website. We've got uh, the flyers, the Bible studies, the sermons archived for years and years now. We've got all this material. Why do we think that we still have to dig in the trash for some edification or instruction, or encouragement from Babylon. Why is that? I don't understand. I don't understand. Are we not content with what God has provided in his true ministry? Are we not content with that? Are we not content with what God can provide to us through prayer, through fasting, through reading of the scripture, through the sermons, through the services, through the flyers, through the books that is produced in God's ministry? separate and apart from filthy, abominable, defiling Babylon. God doesn't want us to keep a foot in the door. God doesn't want us to keep a foot in the door to Babylon. One last verse, Revelation 18. Revelation 18. Revelation 18, verse 1, 
After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Amen. This is talking about a literal city somewhere on earth, but it's also talking about false religion and all of it. All false religion. So it's, it's dual, two meanings. So all that false religion is going to come tunneling down. That is a wonderful victory. This also happens on the day of the battle of Armageddon. And if you look at verse 4, it says, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate or partake in her sins and receive of her plagues. Now, he doesn't want us to come out within the last few seconds. He doesn't want us to come out on a deathbed profession. He wants us to come out now. This is talking to us now for us to come out. So that when all the world does start collapsing and falling apart, that we won't suffer the same way that they suffer. We're going to suffer, but it's going to be different. Even if we die, it'll be different. We don't have to die in the same kind of pain, in the same kind of agony, in the same kind of sadness that the world dies in. But we can die with joy in our heart and peace in our mind if we die at all. God is capable of giving every one of you a measure of joy, happiness, and peace overflowing, pressed down and overflowing. He is able to give you a joy unspeakable that you cannot express with human words. I hope that every one of you will experience that kind of joy. You don't have to get it from Bible. You get it from Jesus Christ. And you, 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 you receive it over time more and more and more simply by worshiping him in your own home with your hands raised to him Worshiping him, talking to him, reading the scriptures, having an intimate relationship with him, even as if he was real. The reason I word it like that is the truth is that for many of you, you're still not treating him real enough. He needs to become so real to us that it doesn't matter that he's invisible. We should still have the reality, the comprehension, more than we do, that he's in the room, that he sees us, that he hears us, 
that he feels everything we feel, every emotion that we feel, he feels. Every thought we think, he hears, even before we think it. Every word we say, he knows we're going to say before we say it. Even the hair of your head is numbered. He is ever-present and ever-knowing. The devil is none of those things. None of those things. Only God is all-knowing and ever-present. God needs to be very real to us because he is. Over and over and over, I have shared in the sermons, on the newsletters, on the website, miracle testimonies, proof that God is real. We need to write down every time that God is real to us so that in the times that he is not so real to us that we can remind ourselves of the times that we have been eyewitnesses of the miracles over and over and over again. People cannot tell us that he is not real. We know he is. But I'm trying to get you to the point of a better comprehension of how real he is so that you talk to him even as you talk to somebody in the flesh. Good morning. Good night. Good night, Billy Bob. Good night, Billy Bob. Good night, sister. Good night, brother. Good night, mom. Good night, father. Good night, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Father. I hope you have a good day. I hope you had a good night. I hope you had a good fiesta. I hope that you had a good seventh day. Laugh with God. Laugh with God. Dance with God. Sing to God. Read with God. Study with God. He is present and very real. It says here, In verse 4, come out of her, false religion, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. Those battle victories are going to be against false religion and false churches, and all the churches of false religion will burn down. We see it happening. King James Version being burnt by God. Let us not be hypocrites. Let us come all the way out of Babylon so that we will not receive her plagues because the battle will be raging against Babylon through the Great Tribulation. Babylon will be given some battles to win, but she won't win them all. The final battle victory will be given to us at the end of the uh, Great Tribulation another one at the end of the wrath, and even at the end of the 1,100 years, 
And when the lake of fire comes, the ultimate victory against death, sickness, and disease, and curse, and the only thing that will exist will be goodness after that time. I'm going to play a song for the ending of this service. And this song is called The Midnight Cry. It is the song that was written when these people were at, were at a church service in Georgia years and years ago where somebody was preaching and in the sermon it was taught that the president of Syria president of Syria would be the Antichrist and but the song is not about who the, who the Antichrist is the song is about the victory against the Antichrist the song is about uh, the seventh trumpet when we will be caught up into heaven uh, they think it's talking about a pre-trib rapture, but it's not talking about that. It's talking about the seventh trumpet. It's talking about when uh, we will be caught up into heaven at the first resurrection, at the blowing of the seventh trumpet. That in itself, being the seventh trumpet, is a great victory. Great, great victory. And a lot of people will rise from the dead. And the grave will not hold their dead bodies down. And they will have the victory against death that day, and victory against the enemy that day. Amen. So we're going to play this song, and then I'm going to hang up immediately after this song. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next seventh day.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.